This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. For more info, visit TACC.org. And the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Explore how immigrants have strengthened America at George W. Bush Presidential Center's special exhibit. Out of many, one. Portraits of America's Immigrants. Tickets available online through January 3rd at bushcenter.org immigration. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune TripCast for September 1st, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week I am joined by reporting fellow Neil Mbora and uh, politics reporter James Big Boy Pants Bettergon. <laughs> Hello. Hey, James. I'll explain that joke later, but we're going to give people a little bit of a cliffhanger here uh, in the meantime. Um Today, I want to talk about how it is September 1st, which means, uh, as we have reported, that 666 state law, new state laws in Texas go into effect today. Yes, that number is right. We, we double and triple checked it. It is a, uh, a strange and unfortunate coincidence for the Texas lawmakers. But I want to talk specifically about a big one that has been the source of a lot of drama and concern over the last 24 hours, that being Senate Bill 8, a um, what people are calling the most restrictive abortion law in the country right now. And it went into effect at midnight last night. Uh, Neelam, you've been tracking this can you, before we kind of talk about the, the legal drama and how this is playing out, can you just explain what this law does and how it works? Yeah, so basically Senate Bill 8 um, bans abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy whenever any type of fetal heartbeat noises can be detected. Um, that's why it's referred to as the heartbeat bill, but technically um, there, according to certain experts, it's not actually a heartbeat, it's electromagnetic fluttering noises, but this can be as early as six weeks into pregnancy. And on top of that, this bill is especially unique because its enforcement mechanism comes from private citizens. So the state will not be making sure people don't violate it. Instead, private citizens can sue um, others that they believe are violating this law. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, uh, in some ways, an ingenious uh, technique here, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade, which kind of secured the right to an abortion, uh, you know, almost 50 years ago, uh, you know, bans the state from, from, from taking certain action here. And so this, this enforcement mechanism basically allowing anyone in the anyone in the state to file suit against uh, against someone for, I, I believe the quote, right, Neelam, is aiding and abetting an abortion, which um, is in a lot of ways very vague, right, about what that means. Does it mean, you know, giving someone a ride to an abortion clinic? Does it mean, you know, give, handing them a pamphlet with, like, their information about how that works and all that kind of thing? But then also, right, that there's a big concern about kind of the chilling effect, the the financial liabilities that this would create for abortion clinics. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what they are up against and facing? 
Yeah, basically, um, some of the largest anti-abortion organizations in Texas, including Texas Right to Life, have been prepping for weeks, getting, you know, getting in contact with attorneys so they can start filing lawsuits against these providers. And what could end up happening, especially for smaller providers with less resources, is they honestly may have to start shutting down clinics in the long term because they can't afford the constant litigation that may start up as soon as any time today, really. Sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things here, right, is that they, um, the, there's no way to kind of recoup your expenses. You you can't ask for the, the, the other side to pay your legal fees. <coughs> Excuse me. If you, if you sue and, you know, if, if, if I am sued for under this law and a judge, you know, tosses out the suit or finds it frivolous, I can't then ask to have my legal fees uh, recouped by the person who sued me, which you can do in court in a lot of other different ways. And so a lot of the concern right here is not just people being sued rightfully for violating the law, but possibly nuisance suits and things like that, that you know, even if you get it dismissed quickly, you're talking about having to hire a lawyer and, and go through all the work and expenses of, of, of defending yourself from a lawsuit. And, and I guess we'll see how, how many of those lawsuits ends up, end up coming. Right. Yeah, exactly. So basically, you know, this has been a dramatic few days, right? We saw, um, we saw how, you know, there have been lawsuits about, uh, related to this. We saw how there was a case, you know, that was going to go in a district court, federal district court, uh, on Monday in which they were trying to basically block this law from going into effect. The Fifth Circuit uh, Appeals Court steps in and kind of tosses out that hearing, which set up basically a pretty dramatic Tuesday, right? Where we were sitting and watching to see whether the Supreme Court would step in. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about what was going on last night, both and people watching the courts, but also in the clinics too? Yeah, so in the courts, people were just waiting, hoping to see if the Supreme Court was going to act on the emergency appeals filed to them by the Texas abortion providers. And, you know, that came after the Fifth Circuit canceled the hearing and denied all of their emergency appeals. So it was it was very much a last ditch effort um, of hope. And in the meantime, on the ground in clinics, things were incredibly chaotic. Um, a lot of women did understand that most access to abortion was going to disappear um, by midnight. And it was looking less and less like the Supreme Court was going to step in. And so you had hundreds of patients at clinics across Texas seeking abortions before they became illegal. And um, you saw some clinics like Whole Woman's Health in Fort Worth working and having staff on retainer up until the very last minute at 11.59 p.m., you know, helping women get these abortions before it wouldn't be possible anymore. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. Uh, Amy Hagstrom Miller, the, the CEO of Whole Woman's Health, she said on a press call earlier today that at 10 p.m. last night in their Fort Worth clinic, they had 27 patients there and uh, described a doctor crying as this doctor, you know, was trying to perform the procedures before the clock struck midnight. So a very dramatic. And then on the other side, you see, you know, people, people outside the clinics, people just staying up, you know, waiting to see whether the Supreme Court would act. I mean, where are we with the Supreme Court? They did not block this going into effect, but it's it's fair to say, right, that the legal fights over, you know, not just the lawsuits that could be prompted by this bill, but the legal fights over whether this law can remain in effect still are somewhat unresolved, right? Right. 
Um, the Supreme Court still could, in theory, step in, but any lawsuits that have been filed against providers or anyone else that people believe have violated SB 8 technically could still be litigated, even if the Supreme Court does decide to step in. So at, 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 that, at this point, it, it might be a little late, but for sure that there are still questions about the constitutionality and it could continue to swirl through the courts. What are we seeing from the uh, anti-abortion movement in Texas? I mean, this is a um, this has got to be seen as a victory for them, right? It's uh, what are they saying these days? Yeah, it, it's a hundred percent seen as a victory for them. I know that they've all expressed excitement in being able to be a part of enforcing the law as well. Um, uh, earlier this month, they set up a website for people to file tips. Um, about people they think may be violating SB8 and having abortions um, after the six-week period. And they have been monitoring those tips. When I asked if they were going to start looking through them today to start litigating, they said it was classified. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I I don't know exactly when they're going to start, but I, I do believe that they are excited to start filing lawsuits. And then you spent a little bit of time inside a clinic in Austin today. Can you describe what you saw, what you heard from the people there? Yeah, the clinic was empty, actually. Uh, They had gone through patients a lot faster than expected because they had a lot less appointments since most of the abortions they could perform couldn't be done anymore. And they also had to turn people away. So they had multiple people come in and they had to do their ultrasounds. And when they detected that heartbeat noise, they had to say, I'm sorry, we we can't do anything else for you. They couldn't even refer them to clinics out of state because that's considered aiding and abetting. So um, things were pretty somber. Everyone, it was it was empty. They staff had nothing to do really. James, this is, you know, as a political observer in this state for for a while now, this is in a lot of ways, something that a lot of the, the leadership of this state has been working towards for a long time, you know, something that has significantly uh, made it much, much harder to get an abortion in Texas. We, we, we talked about this a little bit, but just, you know, bears reiterating the, uh, the these, these sounds, these what they're calling the fetal heartbeat, although, as we've said, this could this is somewhat of a misnomer, starts appearing in earliest six weeks. Many don't realize they're pregnant. We're talking about 85 up to upwards of 90 percent of abortions that are currently happening now now can't happen under this law. Um, I've been somewhat struck by the lack of kind of celebration from the mainstream uh you know the 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 republican leaders and unless i'm missing anything but have have we heard much from abbott from dan patrick from these folks today about about what's happening out there yeah i mean i think i saw the governor uh tweet out um his support of of uh of the bill um and so yeah there is there is some celebration but it might be you know, toned down because I think the reality of it is also that lawmakers, even Republican lawmakers, had sort of not really supported this bill in the past, Um, especially uh, the quote-unquote terming it of the fetal heartbeat bill. That only really started, I think, last session in earnest in 2019 when other other states started passing 
similar legislation. And that's all a response to a much more conservative Supreme Court. But in the past, in the last, I, I think the last decade really in Texas, even though even people who are opponents of abortion had recognized that this may be a bridge too far, that it was going to bump up against Roe v. Wade, the existing landmark case on abortion, and that if it went to the Supreme Court under the previous makeup of the Supreme Court, um, these these kinds of bills, these kinds of laws now would get struck down. But in the last four years, particularly during the Trump administration, uh, with the change of the Supreme Court makeup becoming a much more conservative 6-3 makeup, and also it, it probably has to be said also that under the Trump administration, there was a much more politicization of the issue uh, where even Republicans who were opponents of abortion but didn't want to bump up against a legal effort that was just going to be for not, they started sort of budging on it and saying, OK, we're going to hop on board and support this type of legislation, where, again, it bears reiterating that even in 2019, two years ago, the Republican leaders of the state were not willing to go there. Um, and here we are two years later, the political atmosphere has changed. I think there's been a lot more pressure on Republicans to support this kind of legislation. And I think these are the end results. And also that it's it's got to be said, it's midterm election season. A lot of people need this kind of legislation to get reelected and to not face a tougher primary, the governor included. Yeah, and it's 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 we've talked about this before. It's not breaking any ground to say this, but this week has really, I think, hit home uh, in a way maybe unlike any time previously this year about just how how aggressive the you know socially conservative priorities have been in the Texas legislature this session, right? You have this bill, which you as have you just described was had kind of been viewed as, you know, a bridge too far or something that they weren't willing to go there quite yet in previous sessions. Today also we of course have the constitutional carry bill that goes into effect, this being the um you know, again, something that some would argue is a misnomer, but uh, basically a bill saying you can carry a handgun in Texas without a license. We have the voting bill getting sent to Governor Greg Abbott yesterday, uh, a bill that includes a large number of kind of voting restrictions and, and things like that. And, you know, you, you put all those together in one week and it's, it is really striking to see, you know, Texas has always been, has always been, has long been a conservative state and, but this year, even though we've seen at least the voting populace trend a little bit more competitive, a little bit more blue, you know, Republicans are still winning statewide elections, but not by as much as they used to. But we're seeing conservative measures coming out in a way that really, I think, I think it's fair to say surpasses anything we've seen in a, in a while. And I, I think that the, the important thing to note is also that Texas has been a conservative state. Yes, that's correct. Even when Democrats were in power, it was conservative Democrats who were in power. And so Texas has been a conservative state, but it's also been a very pragmatic state um, in terms of we're not going to we're not going to go to extremes. We're going to implement policies that are, you know, <laughs> contain some safeguards, some measures. That's historically what Texas had been like, a very pragmatic approach. Um, this session, yeah, we have seen a lot of really um, 
legislation that's been pushed by the extremes on both sides, really. But because Republicans are in power, obviously, it's the conservative extremes that have have pushed have have succeeded, I guess. And one thing to note is that particularly on the so-called constitutional carry bill, um, you know, that's one thing worth noting, similar to the abortion bill that we were just talking about, where Republicans had said that that was a bridge too far. Again, in 2019, House Speaker Dennis Bonin killed that bill uh, because of the way that, um, well, his reason was that it was because of the way that its supporters were acting and harassing lawmakers, right? So they, they were saying it's a bridge too far. In just a few months ago, in 2021, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who is the most conservative uh, state official without a doubt, he was saying that constitutional carry was a bridge too far. When you're going to the right of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, I think that really tells you how far to the right this bill was. Um, and so we've sort of, we've got no guardrails here. We're sort of just going to, we're bowing to the extremes. And I, I think that's really a um, encapsulation of the political moment that we're in. It is on both sides where, you know, parties are just capitulating to the extremes, but because Republicans are in power here, it's, you know, we're seeing policy that capitulates to the extreme on the right. Yeah. Okay. So Neil, I'm going back to this law very quickly. I mean, what, what are we looking for over the next two days, few days? Uh, obviously a lot of uncertainty, but uh, how does this, any sense of how this plays out, you know, in the courts or, or, or just on the ground in, in these clinics? What, what are people expecting in, in, to look out for in the next few days? Yeah, like I said, I still think there's a chance for the Supreme Court to do something. It, it gets less likely with every passing hour, but I think people could look out for some type of action on the federal side. Um, on the other side of things though, I think you're definitely going to see lawsuits starting to be filed by anti-abortion organizations and even just private individuals who see this bill in play and want to take advantage of being able to sue abortion providers or people who they believe are helping others get abortions. So I think looking out for Texas Right to Life, um, publicizing that they're going after this specific person or provider, um, because I definitely see that coming in the upcoming days. Okay, well, thank you. Let's let's take a break now and hear a message from our sponsors. Texas Association of School Business Officials. In commemoration of its 75th anniversary, the Texas Association of School Business Officials explores the history of Texas public education in a documentary short movie. Watch now at tasbo.org slash 75. And University of Texas Press presents From a Taller Tower. The Rise of the American Mass Shooter by veteran journalist Seamus McGraw. Find it at utpress.utexas.edu. The Texas Tribune Festival is partnering with the Washington Post to bring you even more big thinking conversations you crave with reporters you know. Join us virtually from September 20th through the 25th for a program that will surprise and challenge you. Tickets at tribfest.org. All right, so we are talking about laws that were put in place during the regular session of the Texas legislature 
But we are also in the final days of the special session, the second special session of the Texas legislature. And James, it's gotten a little bit dramatic lately. I mentioned the, the big boy pants joke earlier where, you know, we the big bill, the bill that has kind of sucked up all the oxygen in the room up until this point is the voting bill. The voting bill has now been sent to the governor. It's awaiting Abbott's signature. I think we can all safely assume that Abbott will sign it sometime soon, but there's still a lot left to do. Can you help orient us as where we are in the legislative session and, and what the kind of points of tension could be moving forward? Well, we're right around crazy time, I think. It's the final days of the session and people want to get their bills passed, which uh, leaves room for a lot of shenanigans. But let's just go over the things that have passed and have been sent to the governor, which is the elections bill. I believe the bail reform bill has also been sent to the governor. Um, So that leaves a bunch of other things uh, still in the back burner or still left to be done, which include uh, the 13th check for retired teachers, which Republicans were trying to lure back the quorum busting Democrats with. Um, we've got Article 10, which is the funding for the legislature and their staff. And that's a big deal. Um, and then we've got border security funding, which I think will be passed out of the Senate Um Wednesday, today, as we're recording this. Um, and that should be good to go. And then we've got some a couple of more controversial bills, like the, the social media censorship bill, um, the critical race theory, and the transgender bill. And the transgender bill and critical race theory are big priorities for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. They're, I think, SB 2 and 3, respectively. Um, and that's what led to the big boy pants comment that you're referring to from Representative Harold Dutton, Democrat from Houston, who chairs the House Public Ed Committee. So Harold Dutton believed um, that basically the Senate was holding up the legislative funding hostage uh, until the House Public Education Committee advanced the critical race theory bill and the transgender uh, student athlete ban. Um and so on, on Monday night, he made a big stand uh, at the House Public Education Committee and sort of just abruptly adjourned uh, without voting out either of those two bills. Um, and he made his proclamation that Dan Patrick was holding uh, Article 10 funding hostage. And so he wanted to test him and see if he had his big boy pants on. And so he adjourned the meeting on Monday. On Tuesday, he came back and had a formal meeting of the Public Education Committee. Then he actually passed out the critical race theory bill. There were some issues with that bill that Democrats expressed, and even that J.M. Lozano, a Republican, um, uh, had expressed with that bill. But they wanted to get it out to the House floor because we're in this time crunch in the final days, right? And so Huberty, Dan Huberty, former public education chairman and a big just education wonk, he he's a Republican and he agreed to work with the lawmakers on amendments to sort of fix the issues that they have with that bill. And so they worked out a deal where they were going to advance it to the House floor and they just work together on amendments so that when it gets to the House floor, they'll have pre-worked amendments and it'll be it'll be fixed on the House floor. Basically, there was some apprehension from Democrats, but there was enough Republicans on on that uh committee to just push it through. Now on the transgender student athletes bill, they just could not come to an agreement. Huberty again was coming with an amendment to make make there be a study by the state on like what the impacts would be of the legislation. Um, 
And then after one year, the bill would be implemented. And then after two years, the legislature comes back and tries to figure out what to do now with the study and the data. But Democrats are saying, no way, because once you have the study after a year, then that means that we'll have to implement it for a whole year. And we don't know how many kids yet, but we're sure that some kids will be impacted and some kids will be hurt. So why don't we just put a sunset on it and then come back the next session and then we can use that study to actually create effective policy now that we have numbers. They just could not come to an agreement about how to sort this whole thing out. Dunn at some point was saying, hey, how can we get the study without having the bill go into effect, which was a no go for Republicans, obviously. I mean, they're they're trying to support this bill. Um, and they were <laughs> there was a long discussion about how to do this without hurting kids. And then at some point, Harold Dunn just was like, I'm just going to take the heat for this as a chairman and we're going to adjourn this thing. So that was the big dramatic moment on Tuesday. It remains to be seen what that means uh, for sort of the interchamber dynamics. We know that sometimes the House and the Senate do not um, look eye to eye on things. And so with the with the transgender student athletes bill still sort of lingering in committee that may tick off Lieutenant Governor Patrick and his Senate colleagues uh, on the other side of the Capitol. And so we might be playing a game of chicken here. So that's that's, I think, what's shaping up in the final days. It just seems it's impossible for the House and Senate to get through a, uh, a session of the legislature without some kind of stare down. I mean, these two bills we're talking about, right, the critical race theory, largely related to, you know, how history is taught in the classroom and, 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 and some things on that. Of course, the transgender sports bill being um, requiring uh, student athletes in high school to uh, participate on the uh, team, I believe that's that's on their birth certificate, right? As opposed right. to their gender yeah. identity. Um, so do we have any indication from Patrick, Dan Patrick, saying that he's willing to hold things up? I mean, the, the question, right, is he, we know he wants these bills. We also know that there is the funding for the Texas legislature that was vetoed by Governor Abbott that they need, right? They need to pass that bill out or else they won't have be able to pay their staffs anymore. That's the that's the big kind of cudgel that Dan Patrick has. Is are we hearing from anyone other than Dutton that that Dan Patrick is going there, or or is it more just a kind of your guess is as good as anyone's right now? Right. So that's the big if. We're we're not hearing from anyone other than Dutton that that's what is happening here. Um, we know that those are priority bills of the lieutenant governor. Uh, but he's not come out on the record and said anything about holding up, you know, the legislative funding. And we know that in the House, uh, I believe uh, the the Article 10 funding mechanism or instrument that they're going to use, that's on the that's on the schedule on the calendar for Wednesday. Um, so we might have, we might be moving on that. Um, but whether the Senate is actually going to take that up on their side, that remains to be seen. They've got their own bills dealing with the same issue and haven't moved on them yet. Um, so we are sort of, you know, as the days go by, the likelihood of success goes down and down and down. So but nobody's come out and said it publicly. And I, I think the House has given every indication that they want to pass it. Leadership has said that. Uh, Representative Greg Bonin, who's the author of the bill, he said that. It's just a matter of timing. So, uh, you know, that that remains to be seen how that shapes up, shakes out over the next couple of days. Yeah. 
Well, this high school sports bill has been quite the roller coaster this year with with Chairman Dutton. Of course, he we some may remember that this bill came to his committee during the regular session. He did not pass it out. Then the next day, or he initially didn't pass it out, I should say. Then the next day, Democrats helped kill one of his bills. You know, Democrats Dutton, we should note, is a Democrat himself, but Democrats killed one of his bills. And then in retaliation, he called the committee back. Then they passed it out, but it didn't make it all the way through, then was put back on this agenda. And now it's again part of this this game of chicken. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the regular session, they just kind of postponed it on that final day for House bills to pass, like no explanation. It just kind of got, I think it was like 11, 20, 11, 30, just no explanation just got postponed. I, I think that the appetite is not is not really there for it in the House, but you know the governor has put it on the call. The lieutenant governor has said it's his priority. So they sort of have got to deal with that and sort of, I guess, go through the motions of trying to pass it at least. Now, whether they actually get it over the finish line, I, I think we're gonna find out here in the next couple of days. Sure. Any other bills that uh, that stand out to you on the, the governor's list as, as things to watch these last few days? Well, you know, I don't want to make any predictions because I, I'm not in the governor's head, but I would think that after the summer that we've had with the quorum bust and the hand wringing about getting them to come back, I think that if you pass the elections bill and you pass the bail reform bill, which were the two priorities that Governor Abbott really cared about during the original walkout, I think you're pretty set. I think you're pretty good to go. You let lawmakers go home for a month before the redistricting special and just cool off, uh, let, let calmer heads prevail. I think I think those two bills are enough to sort of get get things done on the conservative side. And then if you want to bring the issues back, you just bring it back during that redistricting session. But um, and, and the governor will get another victory as well on the border funding issue because he's he's basically pumping in an additional you know, $1.88 billion, which will get us up to $3 billion on border security over the next uh, two-year budget cycle. So I think this is shaping up to be a a pretty successful uh, special session for the governor. Um, Yeah, I I mean, maybe it's wishful thinking on my end. (laughs) 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 That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, we will see. We've got a few days left. The they, they have to stop work on Sunday, right, James? So, right, correct. So by so the next time you hear us, it. yeah, the next time you hear us in your ear pods, uh, we will know what will have happened, uh, hopefully. And, and hopefully there will, we will not be previewing the third special session quite <laughs> <Hopefully>. yet. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to Neelam. Thank you to James. Thank you to our producer, Michael Ray, and thank you to our sponsors, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, the George W. Bush Presidential Center, the Texas Association of School Business Officials, and the University of Texas Press. We'll talk to you all next week.